September jobs report came in as expected, ladies and gentlemen. Yet Wall Street just isn't satisfied. We saw the markets crash once again on another Friday with the Dow down over 630 points. Even though we had a great week to start on Monday and Tuesday, great way to start the quarter, we end the week on a very down note. And I got to tell you, Toby, things are not looking good. Welcome, everyone, to BHS Live. I'm your trader, Todd Schoenberger, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Tobin Smith. And Toby, I mean, when I look at these numbers, the conviction, the volume, everything is down. Every sector is down. Energy is the only bright spot. And that still wasn't the biggest winner of the week. So I have to wonder, what am I? What are we going to do? What are we going to tell our listeners to do going into the rest of October. Well, golly gee, Todd, if you've been listening at all since like April, um, <laughs> while you're, you know, I know you're, you're the, you're so optimistic that, you know, your brain must have some endorphin loop that goes around <laughs> until you just, but here is Absolutely. the actual fact. Number Tell one, me. I've talked about our Brexit portfolio forever. In other words, the beneficiaries of the Western world exiting Russia, energy, uh, you know, everything. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now on the screen where it was 80% in cash, we're 20% in Brexit, and our entire portfolio is up 16% this week because 16% this week. This week it's up huge. 98% for the year. Why is wow. that? Why is that, Todd? Because <laughs> I have this gray hair and I lived, I started in 1979 uh, with a firm that's no longer business called Kidder Peabody on Wall Street. And it's oh, yeah. for 15%. Inflation rate was like 14%. And Paul Volcker came in and raised rates to 21%. I'll never forget it. And uh, I should have just bought bonds and retired that day, by the way. And uh, lo and behold, we got, you know, we killed the inflation. But to kill inflation, you have to raise the Fed funds rate higher than the actual inflation. I want to say that slowly, Todd, because I think people don't get it, particularly people of Gen X and the Gen Zs and the millennials. They haven't lived this stuff. The Fed is not going to stop raising rates at 4.5% because that's not going to do it. And, you know, what you say with the good jobs report, well, good news is bad news when, mm -hmm. when you're battling the Fed because the Fed only tool, as I've said, I don't know, for now the 3,000th time is to smother the economy, not build it up, to smother the GDP enough that yes. all of a sudden, all this, like, mm -hmm. the most bizarre thing that people don't get is why we have 2 million new jobs, or in this case, 200,000 new jobs. In other words, we have 11 million job openings, maybe 10 million now, because we've lost a million. And we only have 5 million people you know, available for work. And that has just got people's heads screwed upside down. It's, it's very, very, very simple. Number one, you may forget that we had a pandemic for two and a half freaking years. And in that pandemic, we've lost about a million and a half people to death. We've lost another million to two million people because of long COVID. They're, they're not, they're disabled. So you, so they're out of the work. Then you okay. have the, boomer, the boomers like me who are smart enough or, you know, to retire. I can't retire. What the hell would I do? I couldn't rant and rave at you all day long. <laughs> but every boomer that I grew up with is retired or semi-retired. They're not working. They're managing their portfolios or they're, you know, going to see their grandkids. So you have this huge drop off of boomers who said, screw it. I don't need this anymore. My house just went up, you know, three times. Uh, so they sold their houses. They moved to beautiful Arizona like me, or they go to Florida or they go to other parts of the United States, North Carolina. I think I have five longtime friends from Southern California that now live in North Carolina, sold their houses for two, $3 million, bought right. 4,000 square foot brand new homes.
homes on a golf course for like 600 grand. They, they don't know what to do with the money. Um, okay. So they're out of the, the workforce. And so we have this structural deficit of people in the labor force, and that is going to keep wages elevated. And when you look at price inflation, the number one issue is wages. The second thing are input costs. And energy, remember, drives this you know industry, drives all economies. And we had the OPEC this week come out and say, I tell you, Mr. Biden, I do not like the way you address us and we're going to screw you and yes. we're going to take oil prices up because they can, yeah. because nobody understands that we are in a deficit of supply versus demand okay. even before the recession. Right. And now okay. the quote unquote recession, we're still in a deficit. So oil prices are going higher because OPEC wants them to go higher and they own the they own the car keys. And then we have this little, you know, Russia-Ukraine situation that p- people seem to think that somehow is going to end uh, in anytime soon. It's not. You add that all together, Todd. Oh, by the way, with the S&P 500, about eh, 25% of their earnings come from uh, out overseas. But in the in the Nasdaq, in the, it, about 60% of the earnings. And when the dollar goes up to a parity with the euro or yen or RMB or anything else where we're selling it, I'm selling stuff. When I return those those um, you know euros and turn them back into dollars, I'm getting about a 9 to 11% haircut. Add it all together. And stocks are not cheap until the S&P 500 sells it somewhere around 15 times next year's earnings. The problem is, you tell me how long oil prices are going to be high. Tell me how long the... the uh, you know, wage inflation is going to be there. Tell me about how, how b- low rents are going to come down. They're not. Because remember, when you sign a rent thing, you sign it for a year. Right. You add it all up, Todd. And we're, I've said this from the beginning, 3,600 was the was the, the beginning of the floor. 3,400, 3,300 is, is where we sort of rest. But S&P 3,000 or lower is okay. where stocks are cheap. And we're still 25% away from it. Okay. So first of all, I've known you for 16 years and you've always had white hair. So I just and get that out of the way real quick. Second, it's great, second you bastard. It's gray. <laughs> I use that, second, I use that what, uh, purple shampoo. Your wisdom. Your wisdom. So I was so there, there, I'll give you that compliment. But um, but but on a serious note here, you are right. You have oil that was up big today, oil prices, it is helping the energy sector. And to answer your question, how long will this um would how high will oil prices go? Well, and the, how high will the energy sector continue to go? I think the easy the answer is probably for the next few months. I mean, we're coming into a very raw and cold winter season. You hear about the inflation numbers for on the energy sector in Europe. You obviously are going to be hit here in the U.S., so the question remains, how high can it go? Oh, I think for the foreseeable future. So that's probably your only winner right now. Well, After you didn't, that, though. You, yeah, you didn't give us a number, though, Tato. How high is it going to go? I don't want to hear. We'll see how okay. high it how Low high high okay. goes. Now we have West Texas Intermediate that closed, I believe, over 92 a barrel. It was up over $4 for the day. And this is on the heels of everything from OPEC. So that yeah. let's get that out of the way. Because we because you could talk about we had the hurricane, but that's a last week story that is that's page two right now so and there's nothing else that seems to be brewing in the gulf so if that's the case we can only look forward and think about the cold winter months that are coming out so if i had to really give a number remember the high number that we've ever had for west texas intermediate is 147 will we hit anywhere near that i don't believe we will but i could definitely see us in the 120s again it's probably going to take about five to six weeks at this point only because once things start getting colder and you got natural gas prices going up obviously this 
this war, who knows where this is going to be? Go to the Drudge Report. The top eight headlines are, are just yeah. as, as negative as you could get when it comes to Russia and Ukraine. So with all that said, though, that's going to be your only winner right now. I mean, everything is down and the volumes were very high today. And this is on the heels of what? What? So we're talking about the Fed hiking rates again. Newsflash. We already knew that they were going to be raising rates. I mean, there's nothing. And this is a backwards looking. And so now Wall Street suddenly feels a need to bring in the bears. I don't know, Toby. I'm I'm trying to be optimistic, but after what I saw, we were ripped up higher 1,500 points on Monday and Tuesday. Now, all of a sudden, this negativity, and here we are again. It's almost like a deja well, vu of September. Yeah, but Todd, again, I'm going to go back. <laughs> after the dot-com crash, okay. uh, I thought you had a hedge fund over time, but I had a hedge fund, and we did I did great. have a hedge fund, yes. We, we, we did great because the we rode the freaking tech stocks like crazy, and then for a variety of reasons, we knew that was all gone, so we shorted that. That stuff. And that's where I started energy investing, by the way, <clears throat> again, 22 years ago, because China was coming <laughs> into the market and they were buying every commodity and oil and gas and everything else. But the worst part of being short in like 2001, 2002, was we'd get these sharp bear market rallies like we had Monday and Tuesday. And just let me quickly explain what happens in a bear market rally. It's not that, that people who believe in the stock are buying the stock because they think it's going higher. The people who are buying the stock, the marginal buy in other words, a person who is not price sensitive are the hedge funds who are short that stock and right. they, they need to buy the stock back to book yeah. a profit. Well, I mean, that's where you get the jarring. When you get the you know, NASDAQ up 5%, that's because the guys who were shorted, you know, my buddy yeah. Dan Niles, we talk about this all the time about being, you know, the, the short carving rallies. You have yeah. automatic buy orders already in because if I have a profit, like I'm, I, you know, I have a profit, I'm being negative, the QQQs, it, you know, when it went up to percent the buy signal went in well when, when, yeah. you know, multiply that by a few trillion dollars okay. and now all of a sudden you have no natural buyers no one in their right mind is buying a stock right now Right. So the only people who are buying those tech stocks, or so, you know, other than my Brexit stocks, there's no, they're the bid and they just keep bidding it up because they have right. to buy it. Otherwise, they're going to lose the profit being short. That's what a short rally is in Monday and Tuesday. And what lights these off? Some good news that makes dreamers like you say, oh, huzzah, huzzah, the world is, it's all over now. The bottom's in. But, yeah. but it's not. It's just a false movement to, for shortcut. That's it. So yeah. you have to look at the macro picture here to come to a conclusion okay. of where the market direction is. And I'm just using valuation. I mean, I posted stuff on our uh, uh, transformativeresearch.com site today about the history of price earnings ratios in times when, you know, the, the Fed was, was raising rates, lowering rates. And we're still 30% higher than what the normal deal in a recession would be. We're about 30% too high. Except... <laughs> When you know our number for oil is 115 to 125 over the next three months, because there's another part that I think people are, they don't see, which is China. Actually, we track all the oil that goes in and out of China. They're now buying. They're a net positive buyer of oil, and they're a net positive seller of LNG. They're taking their LNG, and they're selling it to Europe, and they're making yeah. about $40 million a load, right? So China closing is over. They are reopening. The refineries are running at about 85%. They are operating at like 45%. So China now is the marginal slash non-price sensitive buyer of oil. And then, okay, let's not forget that on December 2nd, the Russian oil ban goes in effect in, in European Europe. So every 
every oil tanker we own, you know, frontline FRO, we own EURN, we own Scorpio tankers. All the tanking companies have literally doubled their prices so that Russia can move their oil to China and Russia can move it to India and so on and so forth before that ban. So there's there's huge, huge distortions um, in the markets because of, yeah. you know, the wars, et cetera. So it's, yeah. it's, it's very logical to be long energy, long tankers, long natural gas, long pipelines, like everything that's part of this, the Western exit of Russia, which I call a Brexit. And it's extremely logical to not be in stocks right now, to have a lot of cash and be able to preserve your buying power for when in the next six months, nine months, we actually hit a tradable bottom. And we are not yeah. even close to that. We're so the hedge, the hedge fund I worked for, we covered three sectors. We had oil and we covered real estate and precious metals. And we had long and short positions. So following the oil market and, and that fund actually originated with tracking oil and gas stocks. When I looked at, at those and I still track those, I'm trading them. But realistically, that's probably your only winner right now. Being long oil right now, at least for the for the I could say intermediate term is a, probably a really good idea only because everything like the macro signs that you were talking about really do show that that is the right sector to be in. But everything else, you got to walk away. And cash, like you said, is a strategy. That's what you should be focused on right now. And unfortunately, it doesn't look like this market is going to get on stable footing anytime soon. But I know we'll be talking a lot more about that later on in the show as well. Yeah, I would just end, end it with this. The thesis on, on the sell-off in oil was that, the, you know, that we're in a recession and then there's a global recession. And for God knows, in Europe, they're already in a recession. The assumption is incorrect when it comes to the fact on the supply demand. Demand is coming down, but supply is not going up. And, and so at the margin here, with particularly then, as we had, I talked about three weeks ago, when freaking OPEC, who hasn't met in person for two and a half <laughs> years, decides now we're all going right. to come to uh, Vienna yeah. and have the Vienna sausages and everything. <laughs> you knew that they were going to cut Two million barrels. I mean, yeah. I mean, so so you add it all up, and this is the number that just I hope shocks the crap out of people who are listening. Just in the United States, in the last nine months, when you take the bond crash, remember when interest rates go up, bonds go down in value, and the S and P QQQ crash, the financial markets are down thirty seven billion dollars in value. Now, I'm not even counting home values because I, I oh again, I make fun of my um, my neighbor who bought the same house we have for $2 million that was probably worth 850 grand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just have to Zillow it every once in a while, you know, and see <laughs> and Zillow and open door won't pay, you know, $1.3 million for the place. And he bought it, you know, a year ago. Yeah. So if you add in the lost equity of the people who overpaid for the, uh, this bubble, we're undoubtedly as a country, and I'll throw Canada in there too, because because they're crazy knuckleheads. Um, <laughs> we're probably, I mean, look, if you could buy I have a friend who had a condo in Vancouver. And what you do is you just buy the condo as a Canadian, then you sell it to a Chinese person and you mark it up twice as much because the Chinese guy's coming over. It's all stolen money anyway. So what do they care whether it's $2 million or $3 million, right? Well, those houses 
businesses are down 25%. So as a North America, we're down probably $80 trillion in financial asset value. Incredible. And if you don't think that's going to scary. change behavior. It's, yeah, that's scary. It's it's a world record number. Never, it hasn't happened in the bond market. We haven't seen a crash like this, according to the Goldman Sachs data, since 1700. I'm not laughing. Incredible. But no, I, mean, I know. I know what you this mean. Is serious it's hard to business. believe, but it's very serious and it's scary times. And there's yeah. no doubt about it. And the uncertainty is just at a feverish pitch right now. And, and uh, obviously, we're here for all the investors yeah. too, because they're going to need some guidance. All right. Well, listen, let's let's end it with on that topic. Coming up next. <laughs> on that cheery so, note. You know, on that cheery note. Yeah. Coming up yeah. next. So, we need to talk about the other big story of the week, which was Elon Musk and Twitter. It looks like that. Well, right now, Elon might be wanting to, to move forward with the acquisition of Twitter, but who knows? There could be a legal um, angle on this one, and we'll talk about it right after the break. So, please stay with us. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube. Welcome back, everyone, to VHS Live. I'm Todd Schoenberger. I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Toby Smith. And Toby, the other big story this week, other than jobs and markets, is this news about Elon Musk and Twitter. Um, as you know, Musk was trying to get out of this deal. He had originally talked about a $44 billion price tag for Twitter. Then he threw in all kinds of caveats. He tried to back out of it. Twitter sued him. They're supposed to go to Chancery Court in Delaware, um, which actually is still scheduled uh, in a um, in a couple of weeks. But uh, but now Musk this week said, you know what? I think I'm good. I think we're going to end up buying you guys and we're going to move forward with this. But a lot of people are thinking, eh, not so sure this is actually going to happen. But now off of that news, we actually saw a little bit of a bump in some of these social media stocks, maybe with the idea that consolidation could be something that's normal for this sector. What do you think? Do you think this is something we're going to start seeing with some of these companies like a Twitter being bought out? Yeah, well, I, I talked to an analyst this week who's very close to Tesla. And we, we'd sold our Tesla a while ago um, and so far haven't regretted it. But let me tell you, I am short Tesla right now via option. And the reason okay. is that according to this analyst who knows this stuff, and particularly knows the lawsuit, he said the reason why he's appearing to want to buy it is he has no way out. He signed like a, a three-page document that basically said, I'm, here's the price I'm going to pay. Here's where I'm going to borrow the money because yeah, that all lined up. The loans, uh, uh, this is again, according to Wall Street Journal, the paper 
that was sold to, you know, put the bond money in the bank are down 25%. And right now wow. it's the banks who own that paper. No one's yeah. bought it. They just underwrote it and they're going to resell it mm -hmm. right at a higher price. So he's stuck because they're going to stick him with that paper. I mean, that's, that was the deal. So he's, he's got to go through a foot. And then here's the, here's the sweet part. If you're short Tesla, yeah, he, he can't uh, sell any more shares. He's got to sell a, a, a shit ton more of shares to get to the $44 million, billion price tag. But he can't sell any shares right now because they're in the earnings quiet period, which ends on October uh, 28th. Okay. So what's happening is people like me are shorting the stock or they're just selling their Tesla shares ahead of him because they don't want to get caught in a waterfall down spiral where he's got to sell. I mean, by most figures, he's got to sell at least $6 billion more of shares. And he, he can't just do it at $100,000 at a time. Right. You know? well, what's, what's interesting about the October 28th date is that a Delaware judge, because they were supposed to go to court scheduled October 17th, the judge actually pushed the October 17th trial date into November uh, and said that will happen if deal is not done by October 28th. Yeah. So in Delaware Chancery Court, uh, the judge actually said it, the deal has to close on or before for October 28th. It'll be really interesting because you're only a few weeks away. And you are right. Apollo Group came out the other day. They even said they're not financing this deal. So yeah. it sounds like it's mostly going to be from Musk and his shares selling those shares. And like you said, he's kind of in a pickle because how are you supposed to sell if you, if you can't? So well, it'll be really interesting to see how, how yeah, all that I mean, plays let's, out. Yeah, let's also then throw in. So what he's basically said is, is that his plan is to turn Twitter into a, a power app, an app where you yeah. can call somebody text somebody, tweet somebody, pay your bills, you know, yada, yada. I mean, people sort of forget that Elon started, you know, was one of the three founders of PayPal, right? So yeah. he knows the, you know, how to, you know, he knows it's possible to integrate everything and be like in China. When, you, when you're in China or Hong Kong, if you want to get a taxi ride, you better have Alipay because they don't take cash. They only pay Alipay. If you want to go, you know, uh, get a, uh, uh, get some uh, dim sum, you better have Alipay <laughs> on your app because they don't take cash. It's yeah. China and and Vietnam is the same way in most of the Asia. So he's looking at that and saying, well, why the hell don't, don't North Americans, you know, just do everything off this mm -hmm. thing, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, let's forget about that. There's Square, there's PayPal, there's Big America. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't see it, but I, I believe that his lawyers looked him in the eye and said, uh, uh, Elon, you are screwed here. They have you, you know, <laughs> over a barrel. From yeah. This idiotic offer, three page offer you made. And you've already gone out and essentially got the, the, the loan guarantees. Mm -hmm. So he wants to have it cheaper. I think a lot of people will say that maybe maybe Twitter's worth $15 billion if you, you know, take their future cash flow. So, you know, on the other hand, he's got like $170 billion other dollars that he can, you know, throw around. So it's not like yeah. it's going to get him, but he's, that might could be the most expensive buyer's remorse I've ever heard of. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. At $54.20, the stock actually is down under $50 right now. So, I mean, when you're looking at another 10%, and you are right, though, do the numbers actually add up? You're what you mentioned as far as offering the all-inclusive type of package with the payments, the, the calling, the communication, everything, the tweeting, everything, yeah. the development costs alone for that, I can't even imagine. It would take tens of billions just to basically recreate a company that you probably should just start from scratch anyway. Well, well and, that's, and not, it would, that's it would not true, Todd. Todd. It's not no? true. Yeah, okay. there's, this thing, there's this thing called an API, Application Programming Interface.
interface. And okay. all the functionality that he would add already has the APIs. All you have to do is integrate them into your system. Um, so th that's not, you know, it's not, it's a, maybe it's a billion dollars of integration. I, I have friends who are in the API business, creating them and, and integrating them. And I will send them, uh, Elon, one of her name, uh, my, fr my friend Grace, and she'll integrate it for a hundred million dollars. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and I'm going to take a 10% commission. So can we end this now so I can call Grace and get this on the <laughs> Well, I'll leave it with you. I'll leave this with you. It does make a lot of sense if that is the case, then you, you could see potential consolidation then in this sector. And especially with some of these these uh, social media stocks, they're down so much. And you can you can look at many. I mean, it's not just the the metas and the um, the Snapchats. I mean, Snapchat's down close to eighty percent year to date. Yeah. But it's also the dating sites, the Match.coms that are out there. You can even look at Pinterest. Uh, yeah. There's a there's a number of these that you could eventually start seeing consolidation. We talk about how streaming companies are likely going to be consolidating. I could actually see this on the social media side as well. I do believe it will take time, but you are right though. At that price tag for Twitter, he's kind of handicapped by thinking about future acquisitions down the line because he's going to be squeezed and he doesn't want to keep adding money, yeah, to it, which could be a not, loss leader. Yeah, let's not forget that all the companies you just mentioned got TikTok. TikTok yeah. just reported today they've invested $7 billion in essentially user acquisition. And mm -hmm. it didn't hurt them because they have $48 billion in cash. Bike dance, yeah. the company that owns it. So they're getting crushed. And and yeah, now take these companies you just mentioned, 50% lower, 60, 70% lower yeah. that have our positive cash flow. And I, I think you're right. The question is, is Twitter the platform to do it? Twitter is all, all around the world, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and maybe that would make sense. Maybe that bails him out. But you know, yeah. there's a reason why Facebook utilization is down. There's a reason why the only thing that's up is YouTube and TikTok. Yeah, that's right. Those are the only two right now now. So yeah, it remains to be seen. But right now, I mean, if you're an investor, stay away from Twitter, even though you could get a quick 10% lift, it's just not worth the risk right now, especially with all the legalities that are well, behind the, it. The, and the, the options are very expensive. The options are, you know, you're not going to make yeah. any money on them, so why do it? But we're short Tesla, and I guarantee you Tesla's going lower when that boy starts uh, selling these shares. There you go. It makes a lot of sense. All right, well, listen, coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a topic. I know Toby knows a lot about this. Uh, he is he's trying to be the pioneer as far as talking about these pot stocks. And we had some big news coming out of the White House regarding cannabis and marijuana and criminalization or decriminalizing the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But we'll talk about that after the break. Please stay with us. Travis Carmichael, the seemingly social financier who successfully left behind a blue-collar Baltimore upbringing by transforming himself into an elite hedge fund manager branded with a sterling reputation for creating enviable profit machines for many of the world's most powerful people. His success proved costly as he became incessantly vulnerable after a series of careless mistakes and poor decisions originated from his love affair with the brilliant and stunningly beautiful Russian operative Naomi Knight through a roller coaster journey 
journey of greed, mystery, sex, and murder, Travis and Naomi's metamorphosis from scorching Wall Street couple to unrecoverable bliss is forever locked for posterity as one of New York City's most interesting tales. Coming to you from former Wall Street hedge fund executive and frequent contributor on CNBC, Fox News, Bloomberg, and CNN, I, Todd Schoenberger, feature a historical novel inspired by true events, including but not limited to those who possess impenetrable dreams of Manhattan wealth and the consuming lifestyle it perpetuates. Please pick up your copy of No Lie Lives Forever, available on Amazon and finer bookstores near you. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Welcome back, everyone, to BHS Live. Today is Friday, October the 7th. It is Jobs Day. We got the September jobs report, which was pretty much right on target for what Wall Street was expecting. However, stocks took a tumble. We talked about that in the opening block, and we'll we'll follow up again later on in the show with any breaking news. But one thing that did break this week was come was news out of the White House with President Biden, who has come out and has said that he will actually pardon federal convictions for simple possession of marijuana. To this is amazing news because this is actually what I understand is the first step to, towards decriminalization of marijuana. But what do you think? Is now the time to be buying these pot stocks? Uh, for the most part, no. Remember a little quick history on the pot stock. California decriminalized a couple of other large New York decriminalized, et cetera. But you can't, you can't, still can't list a pot company, marijuana company on the New York Stock Exchange or any American list. So they're all Canadian companies that then you could list on the uh, uh, on these exchanges. But none of them are making money. Seagram's came in and put like $400 million into Tilray. They had to write the entire investment off in the last quarter. The issue here, I think, Todd, was just simply that, A, number one, it's probably good if there's an election that you tell that you uh, pardon 2,000 people who are, have felonies or you for using <laughs> something that's now legal. I mean, I, also, I just think that's a moral case. But you um, can't you can't vote if you're a felon. That's, uh, that's absolutely. What I, yeah, I mean, it, it, it hurts your job. It hurts your credit rating. It hurts your going to college. I mean, it, it's so that part, I think, is just morally correct. The issue the still the big issue over the whole pot industry is that in the United States, you can't have a checking account. You can't take your, your sales in. You have to turn them into cash. Mm-hmm. And then a Brinks truck shows up and they take your cash and they put it in the bank. But you, you it, the interstate commerce laws, banking laws, say that, you know, you can't, you, that they, these guys have to do their business in cash. It's not to say yeah. that someone can't buy it with a credit card. They can. But th- th- so if the interstate banking laws change, where these guys didn't have to pay five grand a month for, you know, the Brinks truck guy to come by every day and take the cash, then, uh, you know, that would be something that would actually help the business. The other part of the business, and I have a, a brother who's in, in the wholesale side of this business in California, is that they sell their really, really, really good pot 
to all sorts of retail locations in California. When you go to the retail locations, Scott, Todd, in California, yeah, you you walk Maybe, by three yeah. <laughs> three dudes who say, "Hey, sir, are you going to you know Green Heaven?" Listen, I'll sell you the same stuff for fifty percent less. Why is it? Well, because California has a thirty five percent tax, and New Jersey has a thirty two percent tax, etc. So, so the private market, in other words, the illegal guys. That's I mean, that's why they now have guards and they have cameras all the way around. So now you have to walk a little farther away from the store to buy it from the dealer. The same stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So the biggest competition and the biggest margin suppression for the business is this massive tax. And if I can, you know, if, if I'm a pot user, uh, consumer, and I can buy that pot that I really like for 35 or 40% or 50% less, and I got to pay cash anyway, then, so that's that's why it's just still not a fully baked business to make the pun. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, the couple of, I, I don't personally use marijuana, um, but I, I was trying to do some research on this and I noticed that the, I, I guess I had my own questions from the legal standpoint is that that, I mean, this was for simple marijuana possession. It just seems yes, not to dealing. be right, right. It does seem a bit. To, uh, I mean, I don't know. It just seems a bit um, confusing to me that somebody who would have simple possession would be a in a federal prison for such a thing. It seems a bit overkill to me, but. I, I'm who knows, but what I also understand, and I know Bloomberg was reporting on this in their on their legal show, is that they were saying that it was, this may only impact a couple thousand people because yeah. a lot of these people were were in jail, yes, for possession, but they also had other crimes. So just because this is wiped out, it's more symbolic. It's not going to really do very much for some. Some people might be just they might be able to come out. They actually mm-hmm. said that the one thing, if you had pot and you went across state lines, it then becomes a federal offense. That that's what I understand. So maybe that that impacts a few thousand of these people, and that's why they'll get off. Yeah, but I, mean, I saw uh, some of these stocks. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, you got they got a big boost. The boost though was more about with the with essentially with the interstate laws uh, about yeah. how you sell and, and the treatment of checking accounts and savings. If that changed, then that would take a big cost out of the running a, a marijuana shop. Um, so, and, I re- and, and I remember you once once before we we talked about this topic on a show many months ago. You talked about how you were. Um, unable to use a credit card like Visa or MasterCard to go purchase this stuff at one of these um, centers that you can go into and yeah. buy buy the marijuana. So that's probably a huge uh, issue. I would think a challenge for consumers who are used to using a non-cash form of commerce. But I did look at some of these companies. There were, Village Farms was one that came up. Simple's VFF stock is under five bucks, but um, it seemed to pop. I mean, the stock yep. did well. And then this other one, Aurora uh, Cannabis. Yeah, uh, Aurora Simple Cannabis. Is, yeah, that's another one uh, that seemed to do uh, do pretty well uh, as well off of this news. So who knows if we'll carry on and what the what the next step is for well, this. I, I, <laughs> Simple for that one's ACB, by the way. Yeah, here's the advice. If the business model of most cannabis companies are, are just not that profitable, there's a huge amount of public competition and there's a massive amount of private competition. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's nobody in jail. This pardon was nobody in jail. You know, these, maybe they've been in jail for six months, but it was the conviction that they pardoned. And and I think again, that's a moral right thing to do. But does it change the business model? No. Yeah. These guys have bled money. They don't make a profit. So I stay the hell away. Yeah. Okay. Good enough for me. Then I'll take that. And I'm sure the listeners will as well. Well, let's talk about some. Uh, we always like to talk about sports, especially on Fridays at the NFL season. And we've actually tabled this one topic we're going to talk about uh, coming up next. But we uh, it's about sports gambling. So let's talk about that a little bit because there was a big, big announcement made today, Toby. But we'll talk about that after the break. Please stay with us. 
Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Welcome back, everyone, to BHS Live. So, Toby, here we are. We're going into another week, a weekend of NFL games. Uh, we had a game last night that was uh, considerably boring, but hopefully this is uh, <laughs> prelude for what, what we're going to see um, this weekend. But um, there was a big deal that was announced today. DraftKings, the online uh, gambling company, signed a deal, or are, they are about to sign a deal, as I understand it. Uh, with ESPN. So the two companies are going to be able to brand. And it seems to me that gambling, I'm not a gambler, but it seems like gambling is a big deal with this millennial generation and DraftKings could be one of these companies that might um, that might do well, but also some of these other other uh, resorts and the other gambling companies like Wynn Resorts, they all rallied on the news as well. DraftKings was closed up 3.3% today on this news. What do you think, Toby? Should our listeners start dipping their toe into the world of gambling? Eh, well, first off, it was a $70 stock. It's now 16 Okay, so that may tell you something. Uh, it, it, it was massively overvalued because, it, you know, it was a spat. It was one of the early, early SPACs. Um, and so all the crazy uh, hypnotized, uh, you know, Gen Z guys were buying the stock. The, 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 there's no question. The whole thesis on any of these gambling companies is that every state needs the revenue that they get because they also tax the crap out of it. So why don't we just get Disney to uh, buy a DraftKings and buy a pot company and then they can just... <laughs> They can sell you pot after you lose your ass betting on the Ravens. Although I must say, I, the Ravens are starting to impress me a little bit. Not nearly go. as much as my Kansas City Chiefs. But <laughs> um, uh, let, let me just put it maybe in context. In Europe. Real quick, for, for the listeners, so they know, Disney owns ESPN. Yes. So let's, let's get that out there. So in Europe, they happen to fancy a game named football, which we call soccer. Oh, and, soccer. And I, I've on, heard of that. On your, uh, on your remote control in Europe, depending on who your cable provider is, you can bet on everything in that game in real time on, on, your, on your remote control. You can bet on, is there going to be a, a goal scored in the next five minutes? You can bet on, you know, if a guy clangs it off the top of the, uh, you know, the goal thing. Um, it's been around for years, and it's by far the most profitable business for the cable companies, it's more profitable being the intermediary on these bets than it is actually sending people all the freaking, you know, cable stuff. So in theory, you know, you would see this, most of the big states are already legalizing gambling. You would, then I would see the play would be with the cable companies who could then, you know, uh, integrate that into their remote control 
goals, yada, yada, yada. That's how you make money in the betting. Um, okay. The second problem with DraftKings and FanDuel and other guys, I, I'm, you know, full disclosure, I, I bet on golf. I bet on uh, football. I don't bet on baseball because it just pours the crap out of me. Uh, and basketball, I can't, I don't think anybody to make money betting on basketball. Uh, DraftKings problem is the acquisition cost to get a new customer. I mean, you already got the first degenerate gamblers. They're already on there, okay? But for yeah. the average person who doesn't really wake up in the morning thinking about what the spread is on the Yankees game, it's very expensive to get new customers. They're still losing money. Now, integrating with you know Disney and integrating with ESPN certainly makes sense. But until they until they get their costs down to acquire a customer, I mean, below what they actually get in revenue, because remember, they're only getting a slice of, if I bet $2, uh, you know, it's going into, it's a, it's a betting business. So they have their losses, they have their wins, they have, even at the end of the day. So their spread for a year is not paying for the, it takes four years for them to pay for the acquisition cost of the customer. And that's assuming that the customer stays with them or like me, takes the next best offer that the other guys say and say, we'll give, instead of $500 worth of betting, we'll give you $1,000 worth of betting if you open up an account for, you know, 200 bucks. There so then go. what I do is I bet all that free money and hopefully make some money. And if I don't, I just close the account and go to the next guy who's going to give me the $500 to bet. It's, again, it's a business model. It's like a, it's, it's, it's a doom uh, spiral. Yeah. Uh, what's going to happen in that business is it's just somebody like DraftKings is going to have enough money or enough firepower to outlast the other guy. So not a fan. Yeah. Okay. The stock went up 3%. It's down 72% for a reason. And the reason is yeah. they don't have a business model that's highly profitable. You only pay, you only invest in companies that either have a highly profitable, defendable income stream, EBITDA, cash flow, or you think it's going to happen in a relatively short period of time. Um, th these guys, I don't see them ever being profitable. So well, that's the business I want to invest in, Todd. Just give me yeah. that a list of unprofitable companies. They're only down, you know, the ARKK funds. They're only down 72% in the last 18 well, when, months. When I, when I see that, I, I always like to go back to, you look at pioneer companies. You look at the dot-com era. And, you know, we're very yeah. fortunate to have been investors during that time. And then yeah. companies that did have what, exactly what you said, the high acquisition costs for the customer. And and then how do you how do you actually combat that? You well, you can look for more customers. And how do you do that? You do that through a roll up or an acquisition. So I start looking at that industry. I see I see a lot of these companies. I mean, this is a big news story though. You're branding with ESPN. That is a big deal. And and there's only a positive benefit out of that. But realistically, yeah, do you have to bring your costs down or you have to bring in more customers? I can actually see the potential of acquisitions taking place here. And um, and you might even have a big casino that might say, hey, look, let's partner up. Let's merge this thing together. Well, and because the casinos are then taking what is normally, you know, you're going into the casino. You got to gamble there to having that online app presence, real estate on somebody's smartphone. I could see that type of acquisition taking place. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, here's a news alert. Every major uh, gambling uh, company out there has their own app. WinSports okay. has their own app. Uh, MGM has their own app. Everybody's already done it, Todd. You're about three years behind. Them. Okay, I guess I am. I guess I am. But I, I don't think you have anything like that with horse racing, no? I don't think you have the ability to, to go into an app and watch a race and bet on it, right? I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know. You, you are wrong. But it I also am depends wrong. on okay. depends on what. So those are state controlled horse racing. Um, okay, and uh, so that's that's a different deal. Don't get me started on that stuff. Okay. Okay. I, up, I know we're going we're going down. I grew the path up near here. Santa Anita racetrack. Okay? okay. I just I just talked to a friend who was like upside down like a million bucks the Santa Anita racetrack because <laughs> he's a degenerate horse gambler. So it's a very sensitive subject. <laughs>
goodness. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I don't know. I, I always feel uh, funny buying a $2 Powerball ticket. So I don't know. I'm not the right guy to talk to <laughs> well, about this. <laughs> you live on the extreme edge. There's no question about it. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. All right. Well, listen, ladies and gentlemen, coming up next, we're going to come with it. We're going to bring you our buy, hold, sell predictions. So please stay with us. On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one? Everyone, let's make some money. Toby, what's your buy, hold, sell? Well, my buy is shocking. It's simply, simply that oil and natural gas are going up in price. Now, natural, natural gas has hit sort of like the bottom of its cycles. At the, in the United States, it's six dollars and eighty-five cents uh, BTU. In the same amount of gas in Europe, sells for twenty-four dollars. All right. So I, I like a company uh, NRT. There's a ticker symbol. And NRT is a natural gas field in in the Netherlands, and nobody knows that they're <laughs> nobody knows that the actual company doesn't do oil because it's called the North European Oil Royalty Trust. So I can see how they think that, but it doesn't have any oil. It's all natural gas. It pays about a twelve percent royalty at this point, and it's. The natural gas prices there are only going one way. And actually, it's more than if you look at the actual, I'm just looking at the actual uh, dividend history now. Uh, yeah, it's it's 12%, but I think it's going up because okay. of, because there's usually about a 90-day lag in that stuff. Uh, yeah. So, I, you know, you buy it at 15 bucks, I think it goes to, you know, somewhere somewhere near, you know, 22, 23 bucks. It sold off in the aftermarket today. So it was it was down to 14.46. It was 15.22. I, I frankly can't tell you why. But um, they're the type of company that you can just buy and collect these dividends and reinvest the dividends and know that natural gas prices are going, you know, are going only one way in, in this Brexit world. And, and that's higher. Um, so that's what I like. The, the one that I'd hold is I had, I had talked about the being short the semiconductors a while ago because of all this demand pull forward. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, the, I, I've got to look this. I, I just had a brain fart here. That's all right. I think it's well, uh, the, the semiconductors. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Micron Technologies actually took a huge hit. I know it's interesting because they just announced this huge deal in the state of New York that they are making a multi-billion dollar. They're building a multi-billion dollar plant in Syracuse right now, actually very, very close to the university. And they're, uh, they told uh, Governor Kathy Hockel that they're going to be bringing in thousands of jobs. The only problem is that those jobs aren't going to be aren't going to start for years. It's going to take three years till they actually start hiring people. 
So it's great that they're going to do something, but it's a very, very long-term uh, plan of action. But uh, but overall, yeah, well, though, Micron was down along with the semiconductor. Yeah, well, it's going to take eight years to build that plant. Tom, so I, I, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it will. It's going to take. And Lee Zeldin's talking about that in the campaign right now in New York. Yeah, it's 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 really fine. Anyway, if you if you own <laughs> short, then I'm going to sell. If you hold the short ETN that is short semiconductors, I'll come up with it right after we. End this interview. The thing that people, another thing that drives me nuts about people who are investing their own money is that they fail to understand for some reason how we pulled forward eight to 10 years of, of sales of anything that digital in the pandemic. Because all of a sudden, if you're going to be working from home and you're, you know, you have a four inch screen iPad, you need a freaking, you know, PC that you can put a big screen on and you know, all that stuff. All that's been pulled forward. And I, if you haven't sold your semiconductor stocks, it's not too late is what I'm trying to say. Because there's not only is the demand down, remember there was like three times over ordering all the automobile companies, all everybody else was ordering three X, just, you know, the whole idea if we order three times and at least we'll get the, the amount that we need. Well, that didn't work. So now all of a sudden you have all these inventories. Um, and yes, yeah, semiconductors are the, the, the new oil for the digital world, but they're very cyclical. And right now, as we go into recession, I mean, you can just look at, you can look at uh, Apple, you know, all of a sudden, the, excuse me, the manufacturers are saying, Hey, we're, you know, our orders are light. Well, there's about 14 different semiconductors that go in the Apple iPhone. Yeah. So, so this is just not the time. We made great money with AMD. Oh my God, we bought it at two dollars, you know, in 2015 and sold it for 140. I mean, those yeah. are once in a lifetime deals. But the semiconductor business needs to get cheaper to be a value uh, to, to buy it. And and then you have Tamai, the Taiwan Semiconductor TSM that makes NVIDIA chips, that makes, you know, chips for just about everybody. But um, as we go into recession, you know, are you going to give your kid 2,400 bucks to buy a NVIDIA, uh, you know, four chip NVIDIA card so he can play, you know, the new Game of Thrones online? No, you're going to say, hey, we're tightening our belt buckle here. Um, yeah, so, exactly. So it's, you know, it's, it's not game over. It's just the, the, like everything else. There's a valuation where it makes sense because of the growth, the future growth, not like semiconductor growth is, but semiconductor growth is seriously like 75% lower than it was year over year, you know, two, three years ago. And then certainly during the pandemic. So you got to take that pandemic period out of your calculus about what something's worth and what the growth rate is going to be. Because again, they pulled a, you know, it's like Sonos, my favorite Sonos speakers, God bless them. I love them. Right. They're fantastic. But we bought the stock because it was a stay-at-home stock. Dude, everybody I know who hasn't bought a new TV bought Sonos speakers. There's nobody else left to buy Sonos speakers. They're, they're <laughs> not inexpensive. Uh, yeah. And and that was a, a stock we sold at 35 bucks. It's now $11 today, you know, uh, 12 months later. So, you know, you, you, this game, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. You know everybody would be doing it. That's right. That's right. You got that right. All right. Well, let me tell you what my buy is. It's going to be Oklahoma City's finest Devon energy right now stock is up 63 percent year to date and yep. it still has a dividend yield 
of 6.5%. When I see growth and I see dividend yields that high, I have to suspect this is a winner. I'm surprised I didn't pick up on this earlier. And this company also, Toby, as you know, because you follow the space, yeah. they are a, um, they're an independent um, exploration company and uh, based out of Oklahoma City, like I said, but it's a company that continues to grow. They actually are signing a couple of partnership deals along the way, and uh, which I think you're going to see a lot more of as oil prices go higher because there is a cost to actually going out and drilling for this stuff. Yeah. So and Tom, um, you not, probably will see that. Yeah, don't forget that Devon and many of the other players in that Permian Marcellus world have gone to a variable dividend, which is saying that that we, we, we instead of borrowing money to go drilling, we're going to take our cash flow and we're going to create a CapEx budget and we're going to mm-hmm. invest our cash flow in more wells and expanding wells because, as you know, there's this thing called depletion. <laughs> So you've got to keep, you know, fracking these wells so you continue to keep going. But after we've spent our CapEx, then we're going to spend uh, more of our money buying back our stock. Mm -hmm. But then we're going to take 40% of our money after, you know, that's left. And we're going to pay that out as a variable dividend. Uh, And Devon is in the sweet spot right now with their, with all their areas they're they're, uh, drilling in. Uh, they have a very low cost uh, uh, acquisition. They have a very low cost basis on per barrel or per MTPU. So I like them. And yeah, we're definitely. Oil, oily companies right now, as opposed to natural gassy companies, which we already own. But, the, you know, people are just afraid that the recession, the U.S. recession, I'm calling it the growth recession, uh, is going to, at the margin, cut demand for oil. But it's not just American demand. The other, we export now more oil than we've ever exported in our lives. And it's almost all going to China. And China's just reopening. And I don't know if you checked the population data, Todd, but they're a little bit bigger than we are. Just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. And India is the same way. Um, You know, India has coal out the wazoo, but they have very little oil. So just India and China at the margin, because nobody's lending money to uh, producers, nor do they want it, just to go wildly drive the price of oil down to $30 a barrel. Um, So this is a unique time in history where there's more demand than there is supply. And producers are withholding supply because they've already seen, you know, the near-death experience of when uh, when the pandemic first hit and oil went to minus $20. So they're, n- they're never going to do that. Yeah, there you go. Okay, well, my hold this week is going to be, I mean, here's the narrative we've been talking about is cash. And yeah. so right now, you can't go wrong with it. SoFi has a savings account right now, Toby. It's paying 2.5%. It's the highest one I could find right now. Citizens Bank has one, 2.3%. And I know citizens, they usually give out incentives if you do open up one of these accounts. And then yeah. Marcus from Goldman Sachs, 2.15%. Source for all these rates is NerdWallet. Got to tell you, you can't, cash is a strategy. Uh, you you can't go wrong with it at this time. And uh, it's definitely a place that uh, you want to start accumulating quite a bit, especially as we head into yeah. uh, what could be a very dark and deep recession. Yeah, and you can, you know, you can uh, just with your brokerage account, I mean, interactive brokers pays 2% on your yeah. cash balance. Uh, Schwab and, yeah. and uh, um, uh, Tasty Trade, yeah, yeah, and Fidelity. Fidelity didn't pay anything. I, I, that, that just drives me nuts. But you can just buy a very short-term T-bond or T-bill ETF that's paying yeah. about the same thing, about two and a half percent. And 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 I'll tell you, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, you, you can you, accumulate you, the cash. Yeah. Yeah, you go to your, the cocktail party and your friends are all complaining about they're down 30 40 percent, and you're like. Well, I'm 
I own these Rexit stocks and I'm up 70% for the year and I'm now in 80% in cash. The only reason our cash number is, is going down is yeah. because the, the Rexits are going up in value. So as a percentage, it's a lower number. And I, I assume when you're doing that also, you're smoking a Benson and Hedges and not one of those marijuana cigarettes. No. <laughs> Oh, that was great. All right, I'm listen, from California. Myself, I'm a pot smoker. Come on. <laughs> and myself this week's got to be there. Anything in consumer discretionary. It was down four and a half percent today on the market. The markets were just getting pummeled, but nobody's out there buying. And then the worst thing of all is then FedEx. This is a topic we talked about a couple yeah. of weeks ago, Toby. FedEx comes out and then they tell us that they have uh, FedEx comes out and then they tell us that, oh, my Christmas is not going to be that great after all. And uh, now they're warning us. And so as a result of that, um, things are not looking so hot. So uh, maybe we'll be able to cancel Christmas or at least postpone it maybe after Valentine's. (laughs) I jokingly aside, though. But right now you want to stay away from Target, Kohl's, Um, Walmart. I would probably be the only one that I would stick with right now only because they seem to uh, their shopping volumes continue to go up for some reason, whereas well, the other companies- because the upper middle, class, upper middle class who don't typically shop there are now shopping. Yeah, shopping there, yeah. So, so I, uh, wish Aldi, with I wish Aldi was a public company. They're a public company in Germany, but not here. Aldi, if you haven't been to an Aldi store, oh my gosh, they are out yeah. discounting Walmart. Uh, it's, yeah. They're huge stores and they, you know, they have it's all their own custom brands, basically. But yeah. for, for Staples, oh man. And, and they sell their wine and their booze for cheaper than the, you know, the discount guys. So that's my tip. Shop Aldi. Okay. I'm not a paid uh, spokesman, but I just yeah. discovered the store. And, it's, and actually, they own Trader Joe's. The company that owns Aldi owns Trader Joe's. I know that. Interesting. Yeah. I do love Trader Joe's. That's for sure. All right. Well, listen, coming up next week, we're going to be talking a lot about earnings season. It kicks off next Friday, the 14th, with uh, J.P. Morgan coming out. We're going to have a special guest join us as well, Jeffrey Hurst from the Stock Traders Almanac. He's going to help listeners and really give some, give some uh, good numbers for us as far as going into the rest of the fourth quarter and what we should expect in the market. So, uh, but we'll we'll talk about that. So, All right. listen on behalf of Tobin Smith, I'm Todd Schoenberger. We want to thank everybody for joining us here at BHS Live and listening to us on the Evergreen Podcast Network. We can't thank you enough for that. And until next time, go Ravens. Well, Todd, I'm just saying this. If they've listened to us over the last three months and they followed our advice, they've made a lot of money and avoided losing money. So, huzzah. Love that. Huzzah. There you go. I love it. We'll leave it with that one. Then we'll follow up again and we can talk about it some more because uh, things are looking good at least on the uh, on the prediction side from, uh, from both of us. So, I think that's great. All right. Thanks again, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next time. All right. Travis Carmichael, the seemingly social financier who successfully left behind a blue-collar Baltimore upbringing by transforming himself into an elite hedge fund manager branded with a sterling reputation for creating enviable profit machines for many of the world's most powerful people. His success proved costly as he became incessantly vulnerable after a series of careless mistakes and poor decisions originated from his love affair with the brilliant and stunningly beautiful Russian operative Naomi Knight. Through a roller coaster journey, of greed, mystery, sex, and murder, Travis and Naomi's metamorphosis, from scorching Wall Street couple to unrecoverable bliss, is forever locked for posterity as one of New York City's most interesting tales.
Coming to you from former Wall Street hedge fund executive and frequent contributor on CNBC, Fox News, Bloomberg, and CNN, I, Todd Schoenberger, feature a historical novel inspired by true events, including but not limited to those who possess impenetrable dreams of Manhattan wealth and the consuming lifestyle it perpetuates. Please pick up your copy of No Lie Lives Forever, available on Amazon and final bookstores near you. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.